0: So this morning we are nearing the end of our series, working through the book of Galatians. This is the second to last message in that series. And it's been really good digging into this book together and uh, reflect on some of the themes, some of the recurring themes that have been coming up for us week on week as we've looked at this book. I know that some of the home groups have been looking at Galatians too, and I hope that you've enjoyed studying it together and working through that material together. This morning's passage starts with one of the better-known bits of the book of Galatians, the bit about the fruit of the Spirit. And then it moves on to a slightly trickier bit of the book, which is a bit harder to understand and apply. And we're going to look at all of that together this morning. So do grab a Bible if you've got one near you. It's page 1172, Galatians chapter 5. We'll look through the passage in a bit of detail. So if you're the sort of person that would appreciate following it, then do encourage you to take a Bible, page 1172. And uh, we'll read what Paul says to the Galatian Christians as he nears this end of his letter to them. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now we love the first bit of this, the fruits of the Spirit. This lends itself to Sunday School material or a nine-week sermon series looking at each of the fruits in turn. The positive attributes of a godly person. Loving all of that. But taking responsibility to restore someone who's caught in a sin That's a bit harder. People deceiving themselves, that isn't so easy. But as you'll see, we're going to look at all of this section together, because it does tie together. A few weeks back when the uh, weather was still mild, Um, Remember those days? I was at some friends' houses and as they were making me a cup of tea, they thrust a plastic container at me and said, did I want to go in their garden and collect some raspberries from their raspberry bush? Their raspberry bush was laden with raspberries, more raspberries than they could eat. So I took my tub and I went out and I filled it whilst eating on the way round, because eating and picking is the way that you do fruit picking, I think, and got this big tub of uh, raspberries to take home. And as I left also, they gave me some tubs of um, cooking apples, stewed and ready in, in plastic tubs, because the apple tree was absolutely laden with more fruit than they could possibly eat. And I went home with this fruit. As an aside, please tell me I'm not the only person who puts things in the freezer that then live there forever. Because I was like, you know, I had a foot on the freezer door trying to get these apples in the freezer and I would discover blackberries in there that I didn't pick last autumn, but the one before, you know, still lurking around in my freezer. I I kind of decided it's my version of Brexit stockpiling, you know. Don't worry about tins, crumbles every week if we're in trouble at any point. The thing with fruit trees is that they don't look like they're making much effort to produce a lot of fruit. They're not straining hard, I must squeeze out some apples to bear fruit, to produce abundant fruit. An apple tree doesn't look like it's making any effort at all. Fruit trees produce fruit because other things are true, like getting the right nutrients and good soil and decent sunshine and so on. And as Christians, we can't produce more fruit just because we've decided to do so. We can't think, I need to be more patient or I ought to try harder with gentleness. Other things have got to be true if we are going to produce more godly fruit in our lives. And here in this passage, and in the one just before that Paul Mortimer looked at with us so helpfully last week, what the Apostle Paul does is he tells us what those other things are. What those other things are that need to be in place if we want to bear fruit. What things have to be true around us if we want that to happen. And it's all about living life in the Spirit. Paul says numerous times in the book of Galatians um, about what it means to live life in the Spirit and an encouragement and an endorsement and a stirring for the Galatian Christians to live life in the Spirit. Earlier in chapter 5, he says this, verse 16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Put that in place and put the things around it, life in the Spirit, And then there'll be fruit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 18 of chapter 5. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Get the things around right. Be led by the Holy Spirit. And then you will not be led into legalism and duty and rules. And then in our section that we've read today, um, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we live life in the Spirit, we will produce fruit in our lives as a natural outworking of who we are in God. So rather than focusing on the fruit themselves, and notice that Paul says the singular, is fruit. You can't think, you know, I've got quite a bit of joy and peace, so I don't have to worry about the rest. You know, if, if there's fruit in our life, all the fruit will grow. If we live life in the Spirit, rather than focus on the fruit themselves, then we will produce more of all of that fruit. That Paul lists here. Let's just remember why uh, Paul was writing this letter in the first place. The Christians, the first Christians in Jerusalem were Jewish, but as the gospel spread, an increasing number of non-Jews, Gentiles, began finding faith. But some teachers were, um, were insisting that the Gentiles had to practice all of the Jewish ceremonial customs of the law like the Jews did. It wasn't enough just to find faith in Jesus. You could find faith in Jesus, that's great. But then you had to be circumcised and follow the dietary laws in order to be accepted. And Paul says time and time again through this letter that nothing needs to be added to the gospel Now, of course, for us today, it's not circumcision and food laws, but the reminder that the gospel of grace is enough on its own without any added extras is a really key message for us all. We have freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Paul says. with a lot of emotion in chapter 5 and verse 1. This is what Jesus died for, your freedom to set you free from the law. You've got that freedom, and at the heart of that freedom... Is life in the Spirit. And then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh or lean into the law. And then you will produce fruit. It is keeping in step with the Spirit that transforms us. Keeping in step with His Spirit that transforms us. And Paul helps us here in our passage to know what that looks like. And what it looks like, if you look at verse 24 in your passage, what it looks like is remembering that we belong to Jesus. I love that he calls us back to that simplicity of our faith. The Judaizers are saying, you want to be a Christian? Great. Obey this law. Pray that way. Don't eat that. Go to that festival. Paul says, you want to be a Christian? You want to produce fruit and live in the Spirit, great. Remember that you belong to Jesus. That's all. Remember that you belong to him. I read that with grateful relief, really. My, my tendency, as maybe yours, is to default to doing the right thing, having to behave in a certain way, thinking I've got to obey the rules in order to be accepted, I've got to try harder and be better and do more. When Paul says, remember that you belong to Jesus. Tim Keller uh, writes about this verse in a commentary. He's written on Galatians. And he says this about this verse. All that is his is ours. Our approval and welcome from the Father rest not on our character or our actions, but on his. We're actually not accepted Because of the quality of our fruit, we're accepted because we belong to Jesus. And when we remember that we belong to him and keep in step with the Spirit, then the fruit that he wants us and longs for us to display in our lives will be produced. So he says in verse 24, remember that you belong to Jesus. And then... We will be able to crucify the flesh and say no to all of the wrong passions and desires. saying no to the wrong stuff. Yes to the good stuff. Paul says to the Ephesian Christians in another letter, go on being filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he is a living person. And part of that is keeping in step with him in, in worship. We remember that we belong to him. And we acknowledge him and worship him And adore him and keep the focus on him. That's what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. We've been led in worship already today. Helped us to focus in spite of the trials and circumstances to raise our hallelujahs to him. That's keeping in step with the Spirit. Remembering that we belong to him. Worshipping him, being filled with him. So keeping in step with the Spirit uh, transforms us. Keeping in step with the Spirit, Paul goes on to say, also keeps others in step. Keeping in step with the Spirit transforms us, but it also transforms our relationships. When I was a teenager, I was a committed and loyal, paid-up member of Emsworth Marching Band. I grew up down the road here in Emsworth. In fact, this is us in Emsworth marching through uh, the streets of Emsworth. I'm somewhere in the middle playing a tenor horn. Um, I did start on the trumpet, but I was demoted because I couldn't get the high notes. And apparently it's easier if your lips are bigger to play a tenor horn, make of that what you will. And I won't be playing in the carols on the green brass band, but I was a very committed member of Emsworth marching band. Now, we'd practise every Thursday night in uh, the community centre. Sometimes we'd practise the musical kind of arrangements. Sometimes we'd practise the marching routines. And then we would um, put them together for competitions. Now, you might not know much about marching bands, but it's a big deal for those who are involved. And at the time, there were national competitions at the Royal Albert Hall. And Emsworth Marching Band in 1990 were Supreme Youth Marching Band Champions. I thought I might get a woo, but I wasn't expecting the applause. Now, I was, hu- I was hunting for a picture of our marching band to find it. And I actually found a little bit of footage of us playing at the Albert Hall that I've never seen before. I think somebody must have kind of um, got their home video and um, uploaded it onto YouTube. And I felt it fitted so well, I could not show you a little snippet. Um, have a little look at this. It's not great quality, but look at this it's at Albert Hall 1990, a bunch of teenagers and young people. Now you can see that even though the footage is really amateur, the, the routines were actually quite complicated, lots of wheels and crossovers. And can I tell you, it's not as easy as you think to march and play an instrument at the same time. I feel that some of you might be laughing at this particular bit of footage of our marching band. Lovely, I think that's it. Good! No, thank you, thank you. It is available on YouTube, all 11 minutes of it, and royalties go directly to me in the form of chocolate bars, no problem. Now, my memory of those competitions is that it took a huge amount of concentration to keep in step. And I could only keep in step if I relied on the people next to me. During our rehearsals, our band leader, he was an ex-Marines guy, and he had this mantra, he would say, concentrate on what you're doing and concentrate on what the person next to you is doing. The idea being that you think about where you are supposed to step next and move next, and you also concentrate on where the person next to you is standing in order to keep formation and to move together. If I keep in step, then the person next to me is more likely to keep in step as well, and the person next to them, and so on. Keeping in step with the Spirit doesn't just transform me. It transforms the people who are next to me, and in turn, it transforms the people who are next to them. It transforms our relationships as we keep in step ourselves. Paul says in verse 26, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. That word conceited, kenodoxoi, and it literally means vain, glorious, or empty of honour. And if you're conceited, what, what that means is you seek your own glory in relationships. And therefore, in the way that we relate to each other, that's always going to be tinged with selfishness. And the gospel undermines that. And it enables us to live as brothers and sisters. And the verses at the beginning of chapter 6 that we read are all outworkings of the kinds of relationships and the kinds of ways we might relate to each other if we are spirit-filled and selfless disciples, if we are helping each other to keep in step. Our brothers and sisters are more likely to keep in step if we do, and vice versa. I'm more likely to be close to Jesus and to keep in step with him if you are next to me. If someone is caught in a sin, verse 1, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That isn't a verse that you've probably got on your baptism or membership certificate, is it? And it doesn't mean, of course, that we are to confront anybody that we see sinning in any way. Of course it doesn't. In other places in the, in the Word, we're told that, that love covers over a multitude of sins. We're told to be slow to criticise. But here, if someone is, is caught in a sin, there's a sense there that this is an ongoing pattern of behaviour that's got hold of someone. And in that situation, we will accept our spirit-filled responsibility as brothers and sisters to help. I remember a situation with a Christian friend of mine who I was and still am very, very close to. And uh, this friend got involved in a relationship that for all sorts of reasons just really wasn't good for her and wasn't right. And I knew that I should challenge her about it because I loved her and I was close to her. But I just couldn't bring myself to a fear of appearing judgmental, maybe, a fear of rejection, perhaps. Uh, Who was I to, to challenge her when I was so far from perfect myself? And in the end, that relationship went really wrong for her. And I will never forget a long conversation that I had with her afterwards where she said to me, why didn't you tell me? I wouldn't have wanted to hear it, she said, but why didn't you tell me that it was wrong? We need humility and we need gentleness. We need bags of the fruit of the Spirit and some courage. You who live by the Spirit, Paul says. You know, this is part of Spirit-filled living. The word restore, the Greek word there that's used, is the the term that you would use if you've dislocated a bone and you're putting it back into place. If you dislocate a bone, it's really, really painful. And and restoring it, putting it back in place, it makes it even more painful. But it's a healing pain. It's a restorative pain. And it's that kind of restoration that when we do confront and challenge, it might be painful, but the purpose of it is for healing. I'd like to think that if that was me, I might not want it at the time, but those who love me would challenge and correct me. That is Christian family. To be looking out for each other and to help keep each other in step. So we keep each other in step partly. Paul mentions as an example here, restoring someone who is caught in a sin. He also mentions in verse 2 carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill. The law of Christ, but we're also told in verse five, for each one should carry their own load. Which seems like a bit of a contradiction there—burdens and loads. Do we, do we carry them individually? Are they just for us? Do we share them collectively? Which is it? But actually, there's not a contradiction here. Burdens that Paul talks about are those extra heavy situations that are too difficult for us to endure by ourselves. When we need friends around us to love us and help us when those burdens are too great. That we're to give practical help. We are to mourn with those who mourn. We are to support, we're to pray, we're to love, we're to comfort. When Paul talks about load, he is talking about the things which are our own responsibility, our own areas of weakness, or gifts, or opportunities, the things that are for us to take responsibility for. So we can bear one another's burdens while also being responsible for our own load that God has given us. And verses 3 and 4 in between there are helpful here because they're a discussion about humility and pride. Going back to what he said about not being conceited. Living in the Spirit transforms the way we see ourselves and also how we relate to each other. We can have the right kind of pride, but not the wrong sort where we lord things over others. And the right kind of humility that can correct and challenge and rebuke if necessary, but also can be right there, carrying one another's burdens as and when we have need. Keeping in step with the Spirit transforms us, and keeping in step with the Spirit keeps others in step. So let's land back where we started. Paul is encouraging us to live life in the Spirit and all the Christian freedom that he's so keen for believers to hold on to, all of the strong language he uses throughout this letter, all of the the passion and the desire to keep the Galatian Christians free from the trappings of the law, all of that flows from here, being led by the Spirit, life in the Spirit, that fruit and behaviour, and attitudes, and relationships, they all flow and are an outworking of that life in the Spirit. And we live lives in the Spirit by remembering that we belong to Jesus, bringing the focus back to him in worship and adoration and memory, and we to be filled with him and to keep in step with him.